Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. Uh, many Christians, well, all Christians, we have a greater reason to rejoice than the unsaved world. Uh, even unsaved people who have money and have power and have prestige and have everything that the world looks at as success or the world looks at as, man, that's something I like to have. Uh, we, as believers, have a greater reason to rejoice. But despite that fact, many believers still struggle with disappointment and depression. And, and there are many different views on depression, especially in the Christian world. Uh, for years, Christians view depression as a weakness uh, or a sin. And unfortunately, I've heard a lot of religious leaders, a lot of Christian leaders, preach this. That if you're discouraged, if you're depressed, then you're, you're, you're sinning against God somehow. And it's a spiritual issue. And just, just basically suck it up and get over it. Uh, also, Christian psychologists, they've gone to the other extreme where they're treating uh, just de uh, depression and anxiety and things like this, they're treating them with medication only. Now, depression oftentimes does require medication. Uh, I'm, I've, I've, I've done a lot of study on it. I've dealt with it myself. I've dealt with it in our marriage. Uh, we've been open about that. So this is not something that you can just, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing sometimes. Sometimes, a lot of times, uh, you need to get professional help from a doctor, get some medication, and do what's necessary for your, your own mental health. I heard one preacher describe it this way. Uh, when you're battling with anxiety and depression, your brain is broken. And a broken brain can't fix itself. And so medication helps you get to the point where you can fix it and you can get the help that you need. Uh, now, while medication does, uh, de depression does require medication, there's also a spiritual aspect to it. It's not a weakness, it's not a sin, but the Bible does have a lot to say about the subject of depression. Throughout the scriptures, there are godly people who battled depression. Abraham had a bout of depression. Moses dealt with a, a period of depression. Probably the most famous, of course, is David. I personally believe David struggled with clinical depression the majority of his life. If you read the Psalms, you see his ups and downs. You see where he's on the upside and he's praising God and saying, God, you're so close. I, can, I feel like you're going to suffocate me with your love and life's so great and the birds are chirping and the, the, the trees are swaying and it's just so beautiful. And then very next chapter, he's, you know, God, why do you hate me? I just wish I was dead. My life's miserable. And he, he goes like that throughout the scriptures. And I've heard a lot of people, you know, kind of make fun of it and light of it and call him, you know, you know spiritual schizophrenic. But I believe a lot of that came 
came from his bouts of depression. Whenever he talks about being weighed down or burdened down, he's talking about the depression that he struggled with. And in Psalm 77, we see Asaph. He, he wrote many of the Psalms. He also battled with depression. In Psalm 77, it outlines his inner thoughts and the emotions that he dealt with while he was in this battle. His Psalms, it, this Psalm in 77, it begins with a tone of hopelessness. He feels as if God has forsaken him and he'll never get over his depression. Now, scripturally speaking, we know he's wrong. God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But we'll get into this in, in the study. When you're battling with dis discouragement and depression, you don't think right. And so things you know to be true, like God loves me, God's never going to leave me, God's never going to forsake me, suddenly you start thinking that that's not true. Suddenly you think, well, God, I know the Bible says God so loves the world, but that doesn't include me. And so he, he battles with this throughout the psalm. His psalm, but his psalm doesn't end there. Asaph, he describes the key that he found to unlock the victory over depression. So let's start reading Psalm 77, starting in verse number 3. Let's start in verse number 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. So he's saying, I, I talked to God, I cried to God, and God heard me, but I, I just I couldn't find any comfort there. I couldn't find any relief there. I found no peace talking to God. Verse 3, I remembered God and was troubled. That's a, that's a powerful statement right there. I remembered God and it troubled me. So you, you can begin to see the dark place that he is in. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable to me, favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. So you can, you can kind of get the, the idea of how troubled he is during this time. He's like, hey, has God run out of mercy? Well, of course, we know the Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. God never runs out of mercy. Has God forgotten his promises? Of course God hasn't forgotten his promises. Is God going to forget me? Of course God's not going to forget him. But that's where he is emotionally. So as we, we look at depression tonight, we're going to see the reasons that we battle it and how we can make choices to rise above it. First thing we want to look at, we want to look at expressions of depression. Expressions of depression. There are a lot of ways that depression can express itself in our lives. A lot of ways that depression can manifest itself in our lives. When we, when we typically think about depression, we think of somebody uh, holed up in their bedroom, uh, never wanting to come outside and just, just, just wallowing in bed all day long, all night long. And while that sometimes is the case, that's not always the case. Depression manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Uh, just to be very brutally honest with you, uh, my depression manifests itself in anger. Uh, I get very irritated. Uh, I get very angry. I lose my temper very, very quickly. 
And that's just that's how it manifests in my life. It may manifest differently in other people's lives. But there are different things that not only how it manifests, but what it does to us. So one thing that, that a, a depression does to us is letter A there, the inability to sleep. The inability to sleep. <coughs> depression, depression doesn't just affect us mentally. It transforms us physically, and it can make it very difficult to sleep. And because of that, physically, we're exhausted, yet our mind is constantly racing with, with issues of worry and fear. Look what Asaph said in Psalm 77 4. He said, Thou holdest mine eyes waking. So I got, I, I just, I couldn't sleep. I wanted to sleep. I tried to sleep, but I just, I couldn't sleep. When our bodies need rest, depression won't let us sleep. And lack of sleep takes a heavy toll on us. It changes our, our personality. It changes our appearance. It heightens our emotions. It impairs our judgment. And so giving our problems to God and just going to sleep, it's, it's easier said than done. You, know, you talk to somebody like, oh, just, just, just give your problem to God and don't worry about it. Great. That's great to say. I know it's scripturally accurate, but sometimes it's hard to do. And so we battle with lack of sleep, you know, and we, 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 it's easier to sleep, and that's, that's on the good days. Now, one of the problems with depression is that it's not always easy to identify the specific cause. You know, because you know, people have always asked, what, what's making you so sad? You don't know. That's just how you feel. Sometimes, you know, to me, when people struggle with, oh, they had this, this tragic event, they lost a spouse and a loved one, that's not depression, that's, that's mourning, that's natural, but when you battle with depression, you can't put your finger on it. What's bothering you? I just, I don't know. And so you're, you're not only people bothering you, but you're staying up trying to figure out what the cause of the problem is. And so it's general sense of wakefulness that keeps us from finding the rest that we need so badly. But not only does it cause inability to sleep, it also causes inarticulate speech. Beyond difficulty in sleeping, depression makes it hard to, to describe what's going on in our hearts. Look what he said again in verse number four. He said, I am troubled and cannot speak. I can't tell you what my problem is. I'm bothered, but it's, I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. Most people who struggle with depression can't pinpoint what it is that they're struggling with. And depression can become so deeply ingrained in our hearts and minds that we can't find the words to describe the emotions that we're battling. So it causes inability to sleep, inarticulate speech. Third thing it causes is incorrect sight. Incorrect sight. Depression twists the way we look at our life. When we look at our past, we think it's happier than it really was. We think of the good old days and how things used to be so great and used to be so good and we had it so wonderful and now we look at our life now and think, man, now it's just, it's terrible. In Psalm 77 verse 5, he said, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times, I call to remembrance my song in the night. See, depression has a way of clouding the past and convincing you that there's no hope for the future. And you can, you can kind of sense it in these verses. Uh, Asa, he could remember that he used to have a song in his, life, in his heart, but he doesn't now. 
He used to be happy, but now he's not. He used to be easygoing, but now he's not. And he, and he couldn't figure out why. See, the past can be a tricky place to look because we rarely see it accurately. We look at the past and remember it as the good old days. And the truth is, if we're honest, there's trouble in the past as well. But we don't view it that way. But regardless of our current circumstances the cl- or the clouds currently surrounding us, we have to look upward and not backward. Because the Bible says that Jesus, our Savior, in Him we have hope for the future. Even in our darkest trials, as believers, we know the best is yet to come. We know that there's coming a day where God will wipe away all our tears. We know there's coming a day where we'll close our eyes in death and we'll open our eyes and see our Savior face to face. We'll not have any more pain. We'll not have any more trials. There'll be no more bills to pay. There'll be no more, more troubles to go through. There'll be no more relationship battles to deal with. All we have to worry about is how long do I want to sit in my Savior's lap? And the answer is, well, forever. But the best days are to come for us. So it gives us incorrect sight. Fourth thing it gives us is inward searching. Inward searching. Uh, another problem with depression is we're, we're often tempted to become our own counselors. But the problem is, when we counsel ourselves, we don't counsel our hearts from God's Word. We counsel ourselves from our heart. And our heart is desperately wicked. Our heart is deceitful. Our heart will lie to us. Our heart will lead us astray. Our heart will make us even worse. But we try to counsel ourselves, and when we do that, it causes confusion, it causes a spiral down. In verse number 6, at the end of it, he says, I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. So Asaph, he continued with probing questions to himself that there were no answers to, that he couldn't give the answer to. He couldn't find the answer to because he was looking within himself. Now, if we begin to search ourselves for the answer to our problems... We have strayed from the path that has the cure. Now, there is a type of self-examination that is wise and godly. In 1 Corinthians 11, we are commanded to examine ourselves, but only in reference to taking the Lord's Supper. And we're not to look at ourselves to see how good we are, how holy we are, how, how many problems we have. We're to examine our heart with our relationship between us and God and make sure that our relationship between us and God and us and other believers is on the right path so then we can take the Lord's Supper. But the thoughts that take our visions off of Jesus and put them on ourselves are unhealthy. When we stop looking to Jesus and what He's done for us and what He can do for us and what He has promised us and start looking at our own selves and, and what our problems are, we're, we're on the wrong path. Hebrews 12 tells us to look to Jesus because He is the author of and finisher of our faith. When we look to ourselves, one of two destructive things will happen. We'll either convince ourselves that we're, we're doing pretty good and we become proud. Or we think we're doing pretty bad and we become, to, and we become depressed. But when we look to Jesus, and He brings out the truth of both angles. We see how holy He is and we see we have a long way to go. But we also see how, a, how much of a wonderful Savior He is and how He helps us on our journey of life, and that encourages us. So we see it brings inward searching. Then it brings a flood 
of sorrow. A flood of sorrow. I know that's not an I. I apologize. The word I had there was undulation, but let's just go with flood. Inundation, Inundation, yeah. Inundation. So a flood of sorrows. Another characteristic of depression is overwhelming sorrow. You, you can kind of hear the despair in Asa's voice as he writes. Look at verse number 8. Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? To him, God's promises and God's mercies had vanished. They were replaced with emptiness and hopelessness. And he wondered if he would, ever, if he would feel this way forever. Maybe you've gotten to a point, point where you, you feel like you can't continue. Maybe you feel overwhelming sorrow and an inability to go on. And those, those thoughts may echo around in your mind. Thoughts like, I just can't take it anymore. If I, if I have one more day like today, I'm just, I'm just going to explode. But those are, are floods of sorrow that, that are wrong. So fourth, the fifth thing we see, is the sixth thing, is the intense stress. Intense stress. One more expression of, dis- of depression is the tension between feeling miserable and wanting to snap out of it and not being able to. And, you know, before I really understood it, before I battled it, I thought people could just snap out of it. What do you got to be depressed about? Snap out of it. Get over it. You can't. And when you want to snap out of it, but you can't snap out of it, it causes stress in your life. Psalm 77, too, he goes, My soul refused to be comforted. It's, you ever, ever found yourself just in a bad mood and not know why? I mean, we use the expression, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You ever just been in a bad mood all day long and you don't know why? We all have. We've all had those bad days where we're like, why are you in such a bad mood? I don't know. We go, I can't. Depression's a thousand times harder than that. Even though you feel miserable, you, you just can't quite seem to let it go because you don't know what it is. The word depression actually means to push down. The problems can be so large and so heavy that we feel like we're reaching our breaking point. The psalmist thought that his sorrow had pressed him to the point that he could never be happy again. And as he looked at himself at perhaps the lowest point in his life, he thought there was no hope for the future. And hope is what we need to have when dealing with depression. We've got to have hope that we're going to come out, that our best days are ahead of us, that this is not the worst it's going to be, and we've got to have hope. So first of all, we see letter number one there, the expressions of depression. Letter two, let's look at the cause of depression. The cause of depression. Now, as I said before, we as believers, we should be the happiest people on earth. Psalm 89 says, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day. And in thy righteousness they shall be exalted. We can go to sleep every night knowing that we're saved. Knowing that our sins are forgiven. Knowing that the creator of the universe has promised to meet our every need. So why do so many believers struggle with depression? If you just look at it that way, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Why would someone be depressed who's got all that waiting for them? But as we continue in the Psalm of Asaph, we'll discover the reasons for his depression 
and we, we begin to understand why. First reason that we, the cause of depression is number letter A there, a distorted view of God. A distorted view of God. One cause of depression is a distorted view of the Lord. When we think about our Savior, we should be encouraged. Our good, wonderful, merciful Savior loves every one of us. Yet, outpouring from his depressions, Asa wrote in verse number 3, I remembered God and was troubled. When, when depression grips our minds, our view of God goes from a kind, loving, merciful Heavenly Father to a mean, judgmental, uncaring God. We begin to blame God for our problems. God took my mother. God lost me that job. God made me sick. He's sovereign. He can do anything. This happened. It's bad. It's God's fault. In Job, Satan received permission from God to prove God's faithfulness. And when he received that permission, he destroyed all of Job's possessions. And when one of his servants came to tell Job what had happened, the tragedy that had happened, the servant blamed God for the situation. In Job 1.16, he said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep. But God wasn't the source of Job's trials. Satan was. James 1.13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. We can't blame the sin that we struggle with or the trials that we face on God. But when we're battling depression, we get a distorted view of God. And that can cause us to go into deeper depression. Another cause of depression is not only an improper view of God, but also bitterness toward God. Bitterness toward God. Another cause of lasting depression can be bitterness towards God. And let's just be honest. I know we're all believers. We're all Christians. We're all supposed to you know, praise God all the time. But it's easy to get bitter at God. I've been bitter at God. April's been bitter at God. It's, it's an easy thing to deal with. Pain comes. Unfairness comes. You don't feel like you've been treated right. You feel like God's done you wrong. So you get angry at God and you get bitter at God. Everything God gives us is a gift. See, God doesn't owe us anything. And the Bible says we are to give thanks to God for everything, the good and the bad. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. See, God has given us innumerable gifts, especially salvation. But if all God had given us was salvation, that'd be enough. But he's given us so much more than that. And we think of what we were before Christ, we are reminded that we never have ground to be bitter towards God. And having a wrong view of God can cause us to become frustrated because God won't respond how we think he should. God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should, and so we get bitter towards him. God is sovereign. He has a master plan that he's working out behind the scenes. Instead of allowing our circumstances to make us lose faith in his goodness and his love towards us, we need to choose to trust him. Another cause of depression is doubt about God. Doubt about God. One final cause of depression we see in this passage is doubt about God. In verses 3, 
Asa asks six, six in three verses, Asaph asks six questions about God. So look at verse number seven. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? So instead of trusting God, Asaph fired a barrage of questions and insinuations towards the one who loves him the most. God, have you forgotten about me? God, are you mad at me and punishing me? Did you run out of mercy for me, God? Are you never going to bless me again? And so he's doubting God's love towards him. And that causes us to become depressed. When we're in a trial, it's easy to question God instead of resting on his promises. You know, too often we feel we have to understand everything when God wants us to walk in faith. See, God doesn't want us, doesn't need to, and isn't going to explain everything he's doing in our lives. He just wants us to trust him and walk with him. And this questioning spirit towards God, it can also be a precursor to depression. Don't, we don't want, we doubt, we, we doubt and we don't want to accept what God chooses to give us. Faith does. Faith accepts what God brings. Like Asaph, when we begin to doubt that God will keep his promises, depression finds an easy way into our lives. Number three, let's look at the cure for depression. The cure for depression. For nine verses, he's poured out his, his, his depression, his emotions, his feelings. But then in verse 10, he turns a corner. I want you to look at verse 9 first. It says, Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And then what's that word? Selah. Selah, Selah means he, he took some time, he prayed, he meditated for a while. And then verse 10. And I said, This is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. It's as if Asa said, you know, everything I've written in the last nine verses is true about how I feel, but it's not the truth about who God is. I'm struggling right now, and it is what it is, but I won't blame God for my struggle. But it didn't stop there. A few verses earlier, <coughs> he said, looking to God made him troubled. Now, now look at his perspective at the end of verse 10. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. The right hand is the hand of power. It's the hand of deliverance. It's the hand of blessing. It's the hand of strength. It's the hand of salvation. It is the hand that guides us through our difficulties. And Asaph was saying, I will remember God's wonderful, strong deliverance and provisions for me. When we're depressed, as the God of sorrow, not the God of strength. We only see the bad instead of recognizing how wonderfully God has sustained us and cared for us throughout our lives. So what's the cure for depression? Letter A, recall God's blessings. Recall God's blessings. Like Asaph realized, part of the cure of depression is remembering the blessings remembering the answered prayers, and remembering how God has worked in your life. You know, after Israel crossed the Jordan River, and it's not the only time they did this, but after they crossed the Jordan River, they set up a pillar of 12 stones. Anyone know why they did that? 
to remember. To remember what? To remember how God has sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. To remember how God had delivered them from the, from the bondage in Egypt. To remember how God had led them across the Jordan River. To remember how God had given them victory in the promised land. Because they knew there was going to become a time they began to forget. And they would begin to doubt God. And they would begin to, to think, is God really good? And they could go to that pillar and look at that pillar and say, I remember how good God has been to me. We need things in our life to remind us how good God has been. If you've got to set up a pillar in your yard of 12 stones, do it. Whatever you have to do to remind you when you feel like, does God really care? Well, you can look at that or go to that and say, I remember God's always been good to me. God's always blessed me. So recall God's blessings. Let it be there. Remember God's works. Remember God's works. And in addition to remembering the personal works that God has done in our lives, we also need to remember the general goodness of God throughout creation. Look at verse number 11. Works of the Lord, surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Asaph re realized that meditating on the wonderful works of God was the cure for depression. So what has God done? Well, just by speaking, God created everything in the world. Just by saying, let there be. We have everything that we've ever needed. And, and you know, I know sometimes there's some bad places, but God created an incredibly gorgeous world just by speaking. He gave us all the things that we enjoy. Now look, April, she likes this TV show, Little House on the Prairie. Anybody ever seen that? And she'll watch that thing. She's like, wouldn't you like to live in that day? No. No, I wouldn't. I don't want to have to take six months to go cross country and hope I don't die of dysentery. I don't want, if I want clean water, I have to go dig a well. I don't want to have to, if I want bread, have to grow the wheat. And all the things that I enjoy, I love air conditioning. I mean, man, this, and this past, of course, in Jamaica, it was just unbearably hot. I don't know why everybody there is not safe, because it's like, hey, you think this is hot? Wait till hell. Uh, but it was just hot down there. And then we went to prayer advance, and I had to speak, and I spoke in the basement in a room that had no air conditioning. And when I was done, I was wringing wet. The kids were laughing at me. Like, look how wet he is. I'm like, yeah, shut up. The fat guy's going to hug you. Uh, so I like air conditioning. I like technology. I like the, the era I live in. And all those things are a gift from God. Oh, he didn't create air conditioning. Yeah, he did. Of course he did. Everything we enjoy is a gift from God. Of course, in Hezekiah's day, Hezekiah prayed about the Assyrians that were besieging Israel, besieging Jerusalem. And after he prayed uh, that night, uh, one angel killed 185,000 soldiers to bring deliverance to Jerusalem. When the people shouted on the seventh day, the walls of Jericho crumbled. When Pharaoh threatened the Israelites, God opened the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. In fact, there are more than 40 references in the Bible that refer back to the crossing of the Red Sea. Why? So that we will remember God's wonders of old. When we were paused to reflect on what He's done, it changes how we see our problems. Compared to the power and the might of God, Nothing that we face is insurmountable. So, folk, remember God's works. Let her see there. Refocus your mind. Refocus your mind. Don't just remember God's works. Meditate on them. Look at verse 12. It says, I will meditate also of all thy work 
in all thy doings. Meditation on the goodness and the works of God is one of the key steps to overcoming depression. Because when we're meditating on the works and the truth of God, we're combating the lies that our heart and the devil are telling us. We meditate on what God's done, it combats the lies that are going through our mind. So think about the good things God has done for you instead of your problems. And God's done good things for every single one of us. Our outlook on life is determined by what we meditate on. If we meditate on our problems, we'll become depressed and discouraged. If we meditate on the goodness of God, we can battle that. So do your problems turn you away from God or they turn you toward God? When we think about what God has done for us, it focuses our mind on Him. And as we think about His works and talk about His doings, it changes our focus and gives us a fresh perspective. Fourth thing we do to, to combat depression, letter D there is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The final step of a, a rising above depression is to rejoice in the Lord. No matter how things look, we always have room for rejoicing. We can praise God even out loud for His goodness, His power, and His strength. We remember all the good that He has done in our lives. That memory transforms our spirit. Look at verse number 13. They wait, O God, is in the sanctuary. He was so great a God as our God. Man, he's turned the corner here. A couple of verses earlier, he's like, oh, God, you forgot me. God, you got no mercy. God, you're just a terrible, terrible God. And I was like, God, you are incredible. He said, verse 14, Thou art God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. So Asaph, he recalls again the plagues that God brought on Egypt to deliver his people from bondage. The people of Israel coming out of Egypt are a picture of our salvation. So the answer to our doubts about God's love, God's mercy, and God's goodness is to remember how God saved us. Look to Calvary there. The Son of God willingly gave himself so that we could be a part of God's family. When we can't find anything else to rejoice in, when everything else around us seems hopeless, we can find reason to rejoice in the redemption of God. And so just because you don't see the evidence of God's presence in your life doesn't mean that God is not at work. Rejoice in the knowledge that no matter what happens, He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. You know, there are seasons in life when God is silent. In these times... We have to choose with Asaph to remember and meditate on God's goodness and to believe that even when his footsteps are not known, they're right there beside us. Rising above depression doesn't typically take place in a moment. It takes place day after day after day after day after we make choices to rejoice in God regardless of how we feel and regardless of what we're facing. Even in the middle of an overwhelming battle, there's light at the end of a tunnel. God doesn't want us to be held captive by depression. Even when we face it, He wants us to defeat it. And with the Lord's help and the Lord's power, we can rise above depression just like Asa did.